Resurrection Sunday. Some call it Easter. It's all right. I call it Easter too. But I like Resurrection Sunday. I titled our message this morning, it's a long one, Seeing is Believing. Or Believing is Seeing. It's those two statements that many of us have probably said ourselves. Seeing is believing. Believing is seeing. People approach Jesus Christ in the miracle of the resurrection of Jesus Christ really from both of those views. Seeing is believing, and believing is seeing. You see, one of them requires no faith at all. It demands proof. It requires evidence, sometimes even scientific evidence. And maybe some of you were of that mindset at one time before Christ. If I'm going to believe in the resurrection of Jesus Christ, you've got to give me some proof of that. You've got to give me some evidence. But the other one requires faith. But it's not a blind faith that we're talking about. You see, the Christian faith is not a blind faith. God doesn't say, I want you to believe in something that has no evidence, no proof to verify it. Christians do not walk in a blind faith. We have faith in the one who has proven. He's proven to us that in fact he came out of that tomb. The evidence that is before us as Christians is not to make us to believe, but it's actually to strengthen the faith that we already have in Him. I can tell you this, that if you've given your life to Jesus Christ, then you know, because a true child of God has been changed in His heart and His thinking and His mind, and there is no question, my life has been changed. That's the greatest evidence that Christ is real, that he's alive. Both of these views have been seen in the story of the rich man and Lazarus. We read this in the book of Luke in chapter 16. Remember the story about the beggar? and also the rich man. Two different people, two different perspectives. Seeing is believing, and believing is seeing. Let's read it. It says, but there was a certain beggar named Lazarus. He was full of sores, who was laid at his gate, desiring to be fed with the crumbs which fell from the rich man's table. Moreover, the dogs came and 
licked his sores. And so it was that the beggar died, and he was carried by the angels to Abraham's bosom. Lazarus, believing, is seen. There was also the rich man who also died and was buried. And he, being in torment in Hades, a name for hell, he lifted up his eyes and he saw Abraham afar off. But he also saw Lazarus in his bosom, Abraham's bosom. And then he cried and he said, Father Abraham, have mercy on me and send Lazarus that he may dip the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue, for I am tormented in this flame. But Abraham said, Son, remember that in your lifetime you received your good things, and likewise Lazarus evil things. But now he is comforted, and you are tormented. And besides all this, between us and you, there is this great gulf of fixed that separated, really, Lazarus from the rich man, so that those who want to pass from here to you cannot, nor can those from there pass to us. You see, salvation is in this life. You need to make a decision for Jesus Christ in this life. There's no second chances in heaven. We make a decision for the Lord in this life. He was wanting to cross to the other side. He was wanting to go to Abraham's bosom. He was wanting to leave that place of torment, but he couldn't. Abraham said to the rich man, they have Moses and the prophets. Let them hear them. And he said, No, Father Abraham, but if one goes from them from the dead, they will repent. In other words, this rich man was saying, Please, send somebody to tell them so they won't come to this place of torment. And he said, If they raise from the dead, they'll believe. If somebody will just raise from the dead, they'll believe. But Abraham said to him, if they don't, if they do not hear Moses and the prophets, neither will they be persuaded, though one raised from the dead. Jesus Christ came out of that tomb 2,000 years ago. It's a fact of history. Christianity is based and founded on the fact of the resurrection. And there are still people today that say, I can't believe. I gotta have evidence. I've got to have proof. The proof is there. You just need to read your Bible. You need to read the account. You need to look at history. Seeing is believing. That was the rich man. Unless I see, unless I have some proof, I won't believe. My prayer is if that's you this morning, if you're of that mindset, that maybe even this morning the Lord will speak into your heart your need. 
and you'll make a decision for Jesus Christ. Why is the resurrection so important to the Christian faith? Because our faith, it actually rises or falls on the resurrection of Jesus Christ. It's essential that Jesus Christ came out of that tomb alive, just as he said that he would. It's essential to our Christian faith, that fact. You see, there's no other religion in the world except for Christianity that has a founder, a leader, a Messiah that has risen from the dead. No other religion. Search it out. Go try to find another world religion that has one of its leaders, founders, or Messiah that rose from the dead. Christianity is set apart from all other religions in the world. You see, Buddha is dead. I hope you know that Buddha is dead. He died in 483 BC. The Baal of the Baha'i world faith is dead. He died July 9, 1850. Muhammad of Islam, he's dead. He died in 632 AD. The cause of death was a fever. Charles Taze Russell of Jehovah's Witnesses, he's dead. He died October 31st, 1916. You can go and see his tombstone at the Rosemont United Cemetery in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. Joseph Smith, the founder of Mormonism, is dead. He died June 27th, 1844. He was tried for treason and jailed in Carthage jail where he was murdered by a mob that had stormed the jail. Sun Moon, the founder of the Unification Church, is dead. He died September 3rd, 2012. He claimed to be a Messiah. Mary Baker Eddy, the founder of Christian Science, is dead. She died December 3rd, 1910. Her grave is in Cambridge, Massachusetts. That's just a few of the names. That's just a few of the religions in the world where their leaders are dead. And all of these false religions, they even continue today. There's still people following those religions today, but their founders are dead. 2,000 years ago, Jesus, Emmanuel, God with us, was born of a miraculous virgin birth. He lived and he walked on this earth for 33 years. He was crucified on a Roman cross and placed into a tomb. And after three days, he rose from the dead. He walked and he talked and he ate with the disciples over the course of those 40 days. And then he would visibly ascended up into heaven from the Mount of Olives there in Jerusalem. And he promised that he was going to return. He's coming back. 
Amen? Amen. Amen. You see, our founder, our leader, our savior, our king is alive today. Amen. And here's the promise that Jesus gave to all who would believe. It's found in John 5, 24. These are Jesus' words. He says, most assuredly, I say to you, he who hears my word and believes in him who sent me has everlasting life and shall not come into judgment, but has passed from death into life. And I want you to notice that Jesus says, has passed. When I gave my life to Jesus Christ, when you gave your life to Jesus Christ, you passed, past tense, passed from death to life. But let me ask all of you a question this morning. If you had no assurance that following Jesus Christ would lead to your resurrection someday, would you still want to be a Christian? If there was no hope of that, no guarantee of that, that you would pass from this life into the next and to be with the Lord, would you still be a Christian? I believe the answer to that is told to us in Scripture. Paul answered the question. He said no. He wouldn't be. In 1 Corinthians 15, 13, Paul wrote this. He says, if there is no resurrection of the dead, then Christ is not risen. And if Christ is not risen, then our preaching is empty and your faith is also empty. Yes, and we are found false witnesses of God because we have testified of God that he raised up Christ whom he did not raise up. If in fact the dead do not rise, and if the dead do not rise, then Christ is not risen. And if Christ is not risen, then your faith is futile, and you are still in your sins. Then also those who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. If in this life only we have hope in Christ, Paul says we are of all men the most pitiable, the most pitiable of all people, the most pitied of people, because we live this life as Christians. But if there's no resurrection, we might as well just close the doors on this place and go on, for tomorrow we die. But that's not the case. We have that hope. It's why we're here celebrating this morning. The resurrection of Jesus Christ is our confident expectation. Because he rose from the dead, you also can know that you can have eternal life. Amen? Amen. Amen. Let's look at that resurrection morning in John's Gospel, chapter 20, starting in verse 1. We read, now the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene went to the tomb early, while it was still dark. Mark's gospel tells us they, speaking of the other women, 
they came also unto the sepulcher at the rising of the sun early in the morning. And they saw that the stone had been taken away from the tomb. In verse 1, we see Mary Magdalene as a picture of God's incredible grace. Here's a woman that was so radically changed by God, so forgiven, so unconditionally loved, that we read in Scripture, and I don't think it's any accident, that Mary Magdalene was the first to come to that tomb that early morning. She was also one of the woman, women who stood at the cross of Jesus as he was being crucified. Matthew tells us that Mary Magdalene was there at the tomb sitting with the other Mary the evening that they placed Jesus' body into the tomb. She was at the cross. She was at the tomb. They were eyewitnesses. She was also the last to leave the cross that day when he died and when he rose again. She was there. Mary Magdalene. I also think it's interesting that Jesus chose this woman who had no great reputation to be the one who would first come to the tomb. Isn't that like our God? He takes the lowest of people, the people that we would deem as of no reputation, and allows this woman to be the first at the tomb. She wasn't one of the 12 disciples. She wasn't highly honored and a respected woman of the day, but simply a woman who truly loved Jesus. And she was forever thankful to the one who saved her and delivered her from her demon possession. Remember, Jesus cast those demons out of her. You see, those of us that have really sensed and felt that forgiveness in our life through Jesus Christ, that's why we're here. What he's done in me. I'm so unworthy, yet the Lord saved me. That was Mary Magdalene's mindset, her heart. In Mark 16, it tells us that the women were on their way to the tomb that morning. They were bringing spices that they might anoint Jesus' body. And they said to each other, who's going to roll away the stone? For the stone is very large. They didn't even know how they were going to get in. They just saw the day before there, a couple days before, they just saw that stone placed in front of the tomb. But they were going with these spices to anoint Jesus' body. Matthew's Gospel records that there was an earthquake at that time. When that stone was rolled away, the angel of the Lord descended from heaven and rolled back the stone. It was God's doing. It wasn't man's. It was God's doing. 
And when Mary Magdalene arrived, the stone had been rolled away already. I think that that very moment, I think she probably became upset. She was probably frantic as she saw this stone rolled away. And so she runs to the house where Peter and John were staying at the time. Probably not too far from where the tomb was. And she gives the disciples the news that Jesus' body had been taken. And she didn't know where they had laid him. I don't know where they put him. He's gone. Remember Mary, like the others, the other disciples, when she arrived that morning, she wasn't expecting that that stone was going to be rolled away. She wasn't, going to, she wasn't expecting that the tomb would be empty. The chronology of events of the resurrection morning, if you read all four Gospels, they all record it and they have different points that they make about that morning. It's kind of hard sometimes to piece it together, but let me give you a little idea of what took place that morning. John tells us that Mary Magdalene went that morning to the tomb first. Matthew says that it was Mary Magdalene and the other Mary, but it doesn't say which Mary. Mark says that the other Mary was the mother of James and the other women named Salome was with them. Luke tells us that it was Mary Magdalene and Joanna and Mary, the mother of James and the other women that were with them, which told these things unto the apostles. And so we have at least four women that were mentioned by name as coming to the tomb that resurrection morning. Now when I read that, I think in my mind, where are the men? Why is it women that are showing up at the tomb that early morning? Where are the men? And we quite often say that today. Where are the men? You have to answer that yourself. Where are the men? Mark says these women brought sweet spices that they might come and anoint the body of Jesus. Remember, it was Joseph of Arimathea, Nicodemus also, who asked for the body of Jesus to take him down from the cross. We're told that Joseph was a rich man. He was a member of the council. He was a good and just man. And he became a disciple of Jesus. Nicodemus was that man. Remember the religious man that came to Jesus in John chapter 3 inquiring of Jesus, and Jesus told him, you must be born again, Nicodemus, if you want to ever enter or see the kingdom of God. These were the two men that took the body down from the cross and prepared it, or semi-prepared it for burial. You see, Jesus was taken off of that cross around three o'clock in the afternoon. By sunset, it was going to be the Sabbath. They couldn't do this kind of work on the Sabbath. They had to hastily get the body prepared as best they could and get it into the tomb before sunset. And so the women, after the Sabbath day, which would have been Saturday, 
They were coming that early Sunday morning, coming to finish the task of preparing the body of Jesus and to pay their respects to Jesus. They loved him, but he died. They crucified him. They put him on a cross. They took him off that cross. He was dead. They saw the spear going aside to confirm that he was dead. They took him off that cross and they were convinced that he was dead. And seeing the stone rolled away that morning, then Mary Magdalene, she ran and she came to Simon Peter. And the other disciple whom Jesus loved, that's John, the apostle John. And she said to them, they have taken away the Lord out of the tomb and we do not know where they laid him. And so Mary Magdalene, who was walking ahead, probably ahead of these other women, women that morning, the first to see that the stone had been rolled away. She didn't maybe see the angel that was there at first, not, not hearing that announcement. She just simply turned around after she saw that in fear and anxiousness and ran back to Peter and John to tell them they, something's happened to Jesus' body. And while Mary runs to tell Peter and John, the other women arrive at the tomb. And we're told in Matthew's Gospel that this angel of the Lord who rolled the stone away was sitting on the stone that had been rolled away. In Matthew's account of this, in Matthew 28, it says, Now after the Sabbath on the first day of the week began to dawn, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary came to see the tomb. And behold, there was a great earthquake, we're told, for an angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came and rolled back the stone from the door and sat on it. His countenance was like lightning and his clothing as white as snow. And the guards, were told, they shook for fear of him and became like dead men. They were witnessing this. But the angel answered and said to the women, Do not be afraid, for I know that you seek Jesus who was crucified. He's not here, for he is risen. As he said, come and see the place where the Lord lay, and go quickly and tell the disciples that he is risen from the dead. And indeed, he is going before you into Galilee. There you will see him. Behold, I have told you. So we're told they went out quickly from the tomb with fear and great joy, and they ran to bring his disciples' word. I would have loved to see that. I would have been one of them running to give the announcement, the angel's announcement. Go tell the disciples. In verse 9, it says, The other women went away quickly to tell his disciples. Behold, Jesus met them as they were heading back to tell the disciples. And Jesus says, Rejoice. 
And so they came and were told that they held him by the feet and they worshipped him. And Jesus said to them, do not be afraid. Go and tell my brethren to go to Galilee and there they will see me. And so while the other women were reporting to the other disciples what they heard and what they saw, Mary Magdalene comes to Peter and John to tell them. We read in verse 3, Peter therefore went out and the other disciple, who was John, and were going to the tomb and they, they both ran. They ran together and the other disciple, John, he outran Peter and he came to the tomb first. And John, we're told in verse 5, stooping down, he, just get this bit, stooping down, which means he, he stooped down to look inside of the tomb. And looking in, we're told that he saw the linen cloths lying there. Yet he didn't go in. He may have been thinking of uh, the Old Testament law out of Numbers 19.11, which said, He who touches the dead body of anyone shall be unclean for seven days. He was afraid to go inside. This was a grave. This is where a dead man lay. But then Simon Peter comes. He follows up. He comes running up, following John. And we're told that he went into the tomb. That's Peter, isn't it? No delay. He just runs and goes straight on in to the tomb. And when he got inside, he saw the linen cloths lying there. He also saw the handkerchief that had been around Jesus' head, not lying with the linen cloths, but was folded up and placed by itself. That's significant. Then the other disciple, John, who came to the tomb first, he went in also, and he, and listen, if you're looking at your Bible, verse 8, he saw and he believed. That was it. He saw and he believed. For as yet they did not know the scripture that he must rise again from the dead. Then the disciples went away again to their own homes. By the way, they did hear that many times. Jesus told them on numerous occasions that he would rise from the dead. You see, there's a lot of times people sit and they, they have this cloud in their mind. You know, I can't believe this. I can't wrap my head around all this stuff. But I'll tell you what, when the Holy Spirit opens up your heart and eyes of understanding in that moment, then all of a sudden the light bulb comes on. That's what was happening here. Now I see and now I believe. John looked into the tomb and he saw the linen cloths lying there. That Greek word for there that he looked just simply means that he looked in. He looked into the tomb. He saw the grave clothes, but without a whole lot of thought. He just saw these grave clothes. He's trying to make sense of it. His comprehension was only that the tomb was empty. That's the only thing that he was thinking in the moment. 
It says Simon Peter came and he blasts into the tomb and then it uses a different Greek word. He saw the linen cloths lying there. And this particular word means that he beheld it attentively. He saw the gray clothes. He saw the separation of the burial clothes and the cloth and the handkerchief that was around Jesus' head. Peter's thinking, this doesn't make sense to me. It doesn't make sense that these clothes would be, these claws would be separated, undisturbed, the napkin covering his head so neatly folded in its place. This is not the work of a grave robber. Somebody didn't steal this body. They wouldn't have done that. He's making sense of what he's seen. We might say that the wheels were starting to turn in Peter's head. And then in verse 8, John now goes inside of the tomb and he saw and he believed. And the Greek word here means that not only did John see, not only did he, he see those gray clothes and see, but it says he believed, he perceived. He came to a place where he understood that Jesus had, in fact, raised from the dead. Jesus was gone. The tomb was empty. Believing is seen. Did you know that the grave didn't need to be opened to let Jesus out? The stone was rolled away to let them in. To let the eyewitnesses into the tomb. He could have just gone out of that tomb, went straight to heaven. He walked this earth for 40 days. He came out of that tomb. All the eyewitnesses that we read. It was for our benefit that he did that. Now Mary Magdalene, after telling Peter and John... She makes her way back to the tomb. And we're told in verse 11 that she stood outside by the tomb weeping. And as she wept, she stooped down and she herself looked into the tomb and she saw two angels in white sitting one on the head and the other at the feet where the body of Jesus had lain. Then they said to her, woman, why are you weeping? She said to them, because they have taken away my Lord, and I do not know where they have laid him. And now when she had said this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing there and did not know that it was Jesus. And Jesus said to her, woman, why are you weeping? Who are you seeking? And she, were told, suppose that he was the gardener. Why? Because the, the tomb was in a garden. She's in, she supposed him to be the garden and said to him, Sir, if you have carried him away, then tell me where you've laid him and I will take him away. Here's Mary Magdalene. Here's this unveiling of her, uh, her mind and her belief, her faith. She says, Jesus says to her in verse 16, 
And this is all it took. Mary. He says, Mary. That's all it took. Just for Mary to hear her name said by Jesus. Remember what Jesus says, my sheep, they know my voice. Mary. And she turns and says to him, and I, she must have had her back, and she turns around to him, Rabboni, which is to say, my teacher. She says to, Jesus says to her, do not cling to me. And the reason why is because I believe immediately she ran over and grabbed hold of Jesus. For I have not yet ascended to my father. But go to my brethren and say to them, I am ascending to my father and your father and to my God and to your God, Mary. People have often wondered why Jesus said, don't touch me, don't cling to me. And there's a lot of different interpretations. I just simply think she grabbed onto him and was not going to let him go. Mary now goes back again to the other disciples to tell them the good news. He's alive. Guys, he's alive. Jesus, I saw him. And Mary Magdalene came and told the disciples that she had seen the Lord and that he had spoken these things to her. Mark's gospel reads, that Mary Magdalene, the first person Jesus revealed himself to. Now when Jesus was risen early the first day of the week, he appeared first to Mary Magdalene. And then it says, for the rest of his disciples that day, as they were all hunkered down in that house, they were there for fear. They thought their life was going to be next. They were hunkered down in fear. Seeing is believing. In other words, give me some proof. I need some proof. I need some evidence. And then that same day at evening, being the first day of the week, this is Sunday evening, when the doors were shut, where the disciples were. And the only one that wasn't there this first occasion was Thomas. We call him Doubting Thomas. But Thomas wasn't there. It doesn't tell us where he was. He wasn't with the others. Where they were assembled. It says for fear of the Jews. Jesus came and we're told that he came into their midst. He stood in their midst. And he said to them, peace be with you. Imagine that rolling off Jesus' lips as they see him for the very first time. Peace be with you. And when he had said this, he showed them his hands and his side. He did that because they needed some proof. How gracious our Lord is towards us, isn't he? God, I need more. God, I need more help in my unbelief. And maybe some of us are saying that even this morning. God, would you help my unbelief? I need some proof. And then the disciples were told they were glad when they saw the Lord. He showed them. 
He's going to bear those marks for eternity. Look, guys. Look at my hands and my feet. I mean, I'm sure that their jaw was on the floor. Jesus knew their need. Even without even, he knows your need, even without you telling him. They were behind closed doors in fear. And here's Jesus coming into their midst. Peace be with you. And there was peace in the moment. And it's that way, isn't it? Whenever we invite Jesus to come into our midst, whenever we're in a life situation and we invite him to come into our midst, whatever, however that happens, there's peace. They needed their faith strengthened in the moment, and Jesus did that. He did it by showing his hands and his side to them. And then they were glad when they saw the Lord. I'm not even sure that the word glad is the, word, the best description of probably what it looked like. I think they were overjoyed, overwhelmed in the moment. So Jesus says to them again, peace to you, verse 21. As the Father has sent me, I also send you. And when he had said this, Look at what he says in verse 22. He breathed on them and said to them, Receive the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit was not yet living inside of them. Jesus was still with them. He told them the night of the Last Supper that he was going to go away and that he was going to send a helper to them. The helper was going to be the Holy Spirit. At this point, Jesus breathed on them and said, Receive the Holy Spirit. And I believe that they did. The Holy Spirit of God, God the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit came and made residence within His disciples at that moment. A miracle of God is what happens when you're born again. God's Holy Spirit comes and dwells and makes residence within you. And if that same spirit that raised up Jesus Christ from the dead, if it dwells in you, he will also give life to your body by his spirit that dwells in you. He says to them in this great commission, if you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven them. If you retain the sins of any, they are retained. He's telling his disciples in this great commission, you have the Holy Spirit and you have the authority to go out and tell people your sins can be forgiven. And every one of us here that knows Jesus Christ the Lord and Savior, you can do that. You can have all the authority from God himself, the right to go out and tell a person, if you will ask Jesus to forgive you of your sin, he will forgive you of your sin. And you can say that with authority. He commissioned them. He breathed on them and said, receive the Holy Spirit. And then we read in verse 24, now Thomas, called the twin, one of the twelve, was not with them when Jesus came the first time. This is another time that Jesus appeared to them. 
The other disciples therefore said to Thomas, We've seen the Lord, Thomas. And so Thomas said to them, Unless I see in his hands the print of the nails and put my finger in the print of the nails and put my hand into his side, I will not believe. Some of you might be saying that even this morning. Have Jesus walk into the sanctuary. Let me see the hands before I'm going to believe. Thomas. Doubting Thomas. How would you like to have that be given to you? Doubting Thomas. It's sad. But sometimes it's the testimony of a man. It's not enough. You see, the disciple says, we've seen him. He's alive. And it wasn't enough. You hear the testimony of Christian. He's changed my life. He's done miraculous things in me. It's not enough. But then we read in verse 26. After eight days, his disciples were going to echo After eight days, his disciples were again inside, and Thomas was with them. And Jesus came, and the door being shut, stood in the midst, and again said, Peace to you. He said to Thomas, Reach your finger here, and look at my hands, and reach your hand here, and put it into my side. And then he says these words to Thomas. Thomas, do not be unbelieving, but believing. And Thomas answered and said to Jesus, my Lord and my God. Could you imagine that moment? Doubting Thomas, seeing the nail print, seeing where, where the spear pierced his side. And for his benefit, because he's so gracious and so loving, even towards the doubter. He says, let me show you Thomas. But Thomas, don't be unbelieving, but be believing. We're told that when they came the first time and Thomas wasn't there, in essence, he, he really he missed out, didn't he? Don't, doesn't tell us where he was, but he wasn't with the rest. He missed out on that peace in the moment. But God is so gracious towards him. He comes back. I still got to go to Thomas. And how long, how long has God been chasing you? How long has he been chasing after you that you might say yes to him? I believe he's that patient. He's not willing that anyone would perish. That's the heart of our Lord. They're still, by this time, they were still eight days later, they're still behind closed doors for fear. When the second time came, that Jesus came to them. 
And you know what? I read that and I think, you know what? God, you've extended that kind of grace to me. You've given me second chances in life. You've given me third chances in life, fourth chances and more. Why? Because he's a gracious, loving God that loves mankind, loves the life. He came into this world to save sinners. But the Bible says that the well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. Jesus said, I didn't come to, to call the righteous, but the sinner to repentance. Remember that believing without seeing is not blind faith. For Jesus proved with many infallible proofs and many eyewitnesses that he in fact had risen from the dead. That's what our faith is based on. Proof, evidence for our benefit. I've actually stood, I've been to Israel, I've stood in one of two places that they believe that the tomb was. They're pretty confident of that. But I've stood in what's called the garden tomb there in, in uh, Jerusalem. And it was amazing. I actually walked inside of this hewed out stone tomb and stood inside, counting myself. Amazing. The, the place where they would lay the body was hewed out in the stone in there. I stood there looking at that. Think, wow. It was an empty tomb. I had the privilege of standing inside of that, considering what that would have been like for all those that arrived at the tomb that morning. And as you leave that tomb, actually as you go into the tomb, they don't have the stone there anymore. The, the trough is there with the stone rolled in it. But they have a door that goes into the, this tomb. And on that door, there's a sign that reads this. It says, he is not here, for he is risen. And I like that. I got a picture of that on my phone. He's not here, for he is risen. today. He's in heaven. He's, he's coming back for us. And I hope that we're all rejoicing. If you do not know Jesus Christ this morning as your personal Lord and Savior, if you've never repented of your sin before God, I'm not talking about penance before God. I'm talking about repentance towards God. I'm saying that, God, I have sinned against you, and I need to turn from my sin, away from my sin, and I need to turn my heart and my life towards you. Because I believe. And if you put your faith and trust in the 
shed blood of Jesus Christ this morning and you turn away from your sin towards God, turn from your unbelief to believe towards God, God will save you. And if there's even one person in this place this morning that doesn't know that, doesn't know uh, how to have eternal life, my prayer is that if you feel God prompting your heart right now, you know how you know that? You feel uncomfortable. You feel a little unsettled. Because you feel uneasy about maybe where your place is, where you stand before God. It is uncomfortable when you don't know the Lord. But if you know Jesus Christ, there's peace. You're sitting here in perfect peace if you know him. And that's my prayer for each and every one. So I'm going to ask the worship team to come up. If you're here and don't know Jesus Christ, I'm going to ask that you walk down here. I'll stand right up front here. Come down here, then we'll pray. Do not lean on the fact that you were raised in a Christian home. Do not lean on the fact that you've known about God and believed about God your whole life. That is not enough. You need to accept, you need to receive Jesus Christ into your heart and life. It tells us in, in uh, John chapter 1, to as many as received him, to them he gave the right to become the children of God. That key word there is you have to receive the Lord. And so if you would like to receive Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, come down and we'll pray together. And you can leave today on Resurrection Sunday knowing that you've been saved from your sin. That you have eternal life with God. That you can have that confident hope that to be absent from this body is to be present with the Lord. And so let's all stand, let's all worship. Christians pray. There, there may be uh, someone here today that doesn't know Christ. If you don't, don't be nervous about it. You might feel uncomfortable, but don't be nervous because you're destined, just as we read about the rich man and Lazarus, one of two places. It's important. It's probably the biggest decision that you'll ever make in all of your life is where am I going to go when I depart from this life? And so let's worship, Christians, and let's pray. Praise the Lord. I'm going to assume that everyone in this place knows Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. That's my assumption. There's nobody came up here. And you know what I say to them? Praise God. Praise the Lord. But if you do not know, and you are too afraid to come up here to pray this morning, I'm going to be walking to the back. You'll have another opportunity. My encouragement to you, my exhortation to you, is do not leave this place. If you do not know Jesus, don't do it. The Lord's coming back. Father, I thank you for this day, this time together as the body of Christ, to worship you, to celebrate 
next Sunday, we're going to have a water baptism.